Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I consider it a privilege to be able to have this time to talk to you. Ever so often, I get the opportunity to talk to individuals, that being both publicly and privately, about their need to believe in Jesus Christ, about their need to repent of their sins, confess their faith in Jesus as the Lord, and their need to be baptized for the remission of their sins. From that time forward, they are to live as faithful servants of Jesus. Each time I try to motivate people to do what they should do, and each time is different. Each time calls for a decision as to what to use as the motivating factor. Because the Bible actually presents several different things that can be used to motivate people to obedience. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we find four different approaches that can be used to compel people to accept the Lord Jesus in humble obedience and submission to his will. The first is found in verses 1 through 9. Paul wrote, For we know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Notice here what can be used as a motivating factor. The promised inheritance of a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Therefore we must labor, knowing that when the time comes to leave this body, we can look forward to that home. The second item that Paul presents in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as a motivation to obey is found in verse 10. He wrote, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Teaching people of the certainty of judgment that awaits us all, the judgment, the consequences of which will be eternal, very often proves a most effective means of prompting people to obey the Lord. The third factor is also found in verse 11. 
Paul wrote, Knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. If people can be persuaded that God is not only a God of love, which he most assuredly is, but also a God of justice, and a healthy dose of knowing the fear of the Lord can be instilled in them, it can often serve to motivate them to obedience. People need to be taught and made to understand that as Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31 teaches us, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Finally, the fourth motivating factor that Paul mentions and the one that I want to focus upon for the remainder of our episode today is found in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5. Paul wrote, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. The word controls is translated in various ways, such as constrains and compels. This last one happens to be my personal favorite approach. Teaching people of the love of Christ is a most powerful, motivating factor to obedience. John put it so powerfully and so simply in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 19, when he wrote, We love because he first loved us. Let's talk about the motivating power of love from a purely human standpoint because we have all seen it, probably experienced it, and can certainly understand it. Watch when a young man falls in love for the first time, or for that matter, even when he begins to notice girls in that way for the first time. Notice the profound changes that begin to take place. A young man who previously didn't particularly care what kind of clothes he wore, who grumbled about washing his face, taking a shower, brushing his teeth, and rarely combed his hair, suddenly wants to take a shower every time he goes out. Suddenly he not only wants to brush his teeth, but starts asking his mom to buy mouthwash. Suddenly his father's aftershave begins to disappear, and the morning bathroom time becomes very limited because he's in there combing his hair. A young man whose picture appeared in Wikipedia under Stingy now wants to spend not only his own money, but his parents as well, on the most wonderful girl in the world, at least at that time in his eyes. As love matures, it motivates that same young man to marry that wonderful girl, get a job, assume family responsibilities, and stick with it through life, doing all the things expected of a husband. As time goes on and one or the other becomes ill and unable to care for themselves, love motivates the other to care for their spouse faithfully ministering to their needs until death causes them to part. Thus we see the motivating power of love, and it is powerful, both love given and love received. Look at how Solomon described it in the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Solomon wrote, Put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as severe as Sheol. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers overflow it. If a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. 
God motivates man to be obedient to him because of his love for us. He could have used only the promise of heaven to move us, and how great would that have been? He could have used only the certainty of judgment to motivate us, or he could have used just the threat of eternal damnation, and each of those would have been powerful in and of themselves to motivate. But he didn't. He seeks as well to win our hearts because of his great love. In other words, we love because he first loved us. We all know of God's great love for man. John chapter 3 and verse 16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And what of Jesus' great love for us? He demonstrated it by coming to this earth. You remember how Paul put it in Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8? Paul wrote, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus demonstrated his love for us by his life as well. He is described in Acts chapter 10 verse 38 as a man who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. As we study the life of Christ, one of the most impressive and prominent features of that life was his continued and enduring acts of kindness to man even toward those who would have been viewed as the most insignificant of people. With the Lord, there were and there are no insignificant people. Paul had mentioned the Lord's death in the passage from Philippians 2 that we looked at. Well, what does that death show us about the love of Jesus for man? Truly, Paul marveled at that love in Romans chapter 5, verses 5-8, through 8, when he wrote these words. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That love of Christ for us, abundantly manifested in so many ways and culminating even in his death, ought to kindle in our hearts the flame of love for him and motivate us to respond. Paul told us that the love of Christ controls us. That means to urge or impel. Well, in what way does Christ's love for us motivate us to action? I can think of several. First of all, it ought to restrain us from sin. Let's go back to that young man that we were talking about before. When he falls in love, it is not very long before he learns that there are certain things he might do that causes his girlfriend pain and unhappiness. If he really loves her, he will quit doing those things that cause her to be unhappy. Well, a Christian learns that when he or she sins, they are causing sorrow to God. Ephesians 4 and verse 30 tells us, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Loving Christ because he first loved us will make us not to want to do that. Because of our love for Christ, godly sorrow will move us to repentance when we do sin. We can also say that the love of Christ compels us to action. Let's use that young man again. His love for his girlfriend will cause him to do those things that please her, many times even if it is something that really doesn't make a lot of sense to him. Men, how many times have you gone shopping for clothes with your girlfriend or wife, keeping a smile on your face, when you know that the dress she tried on ten stores and two hours ago fit just fine? How many times have you sat and watched the quintessential chick flick because the one you love wanted to see it? In a similar way, Christ's love for us, which causes our love for him, moves us to do those things that we know are pleasing to the Lord. Jesus himself showed us how this aspect of love works while he was on earth. In John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, we read, So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. You see, because of the love of Christ, the Christian makes it a point to learn what the will of the Lord is, and then do those things pleasing to him, such as worshiping him as he has set forth such as not forsaking the assemblies, spreading the gospel, praying, working, and on and on and on. Oh, my friends, the love of Christ causes a Christian to live a life of service to God. The Christian knows that he is not his own, that he or she has been bought with the price, which price was the absolute greatest manifestation of love this world will ever know, the death of Jesus. Therefore, we willingly present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, refusing to conform to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds and upholding that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Because of that love, the Christian's life is devoted to the Lord. We will go out and visit the sick. We will talk to people about their souls. We will tell them about Jesus. We will give as we have been prospered. We will do everything that we can that we know is pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because we love him who first loved us. That is why. A Christian's life is devoted to his or her Lord. And my friends, Christ's love will cause a Christian to sacrifice for Jesus. One more time we go back to that young man. If he knows that his girlfriend loves him and he truly loves her, he will make sacrifices for her. He will do things that are not convenient. He will spend and be spent for her. A true Christian is willing to make sacrifices for the Lord and his work, and whatever it takes is okay. If it involves standing up for the truth, even though ridicule might come as a result of that, so be it. Whatever it takes, that is what I will do.
My friends, those in the world who have never experienced the controlling power of the love of Christ just doesn't know. They don't know what I'm talking about. They don't understand why a Christian is willing to forego buying that fancy new car or larger house which they could afford if they did not contribute so much to the work of the Lord or why they are willing to go to services and why they will go to every night of a revival not to mention all the other nights when they could be watching TV but are out visiting and trying to teach others. Those in the world cannot understand why we would refuse to participate in the ungodly things of this world that seem to be so much fun to them. But my friends, they don't know what it is that drives us. The love of Christ is a powerful, driving, motivating force in the lives of Christians. The world is often amazed that we accept the demands of this love. But I have to tell you, I'm amazed that the world can read of God's love for a man and walk away from it, unaffected. Something is wrong when people can be the recipients of such great love and not return it. I hope that this was beneficial for you today. Thanks for listening.